Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Rocco Levitas. Rocco is an epic fantasy author. His first book came out in October, correct? Yes, October 17th. Okay, and the, the name of that book is The Seam of Eternity, and it is the first book of the series The Veins of Eternity. Is that correct? Yes, you have it right. I have my uh, little book baby right here. That's so fantastic. It's a lot of fun to a uh, lot of fun to put together. So, Rocco, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your book. You know, I've always read epic fantasy growing up. I think uh, I, I even used to go camping with my family, and I didn't always fit in with my family. I was a closeted gay boy um, trying to fit in with a straight religious family, <laughs> and I you I I would find escape in fantasy so i'd be on family camping trips and i'd be reading uh terry goodkind with his sort of true series um the hobbit is what what really took me away to it all but i decided hey you know what i found a really good um escape in fantasy and i want to be able to give that to other people and i will also mention that i'm on very good terms with my family so it's <laughs> funny how you you blow all these things out of perspective in your mind and then things work out for the best in the end <laughs> right no it usually does a lot of times sometimes it doesn't but i'm glad that it worked out well for you and your family that's that's really yes. good so what was the idea that sparked uh this book you know i think it really does go back um to i mean i i don't actually write lgbt fantasy at all um but i had this idea where you know i I love epic fantasy. I love all the different cultures that you get to explore and wander through it as the author guides you. And I was reading, there, there were a lot of stories that I was reading. I just, I felt like there was a kind of agenda being pushed and it didn't quite sit right with me. And I said, you know what? I'm I'm seeing that a lot in my daily life. I see a lot of different perspectives. I mean, if you look at my social media, I've got my very uh, liberal and very conservative sides of the uh, of the spectrum all in one place. And yet, when they all, all each other and they say, "Oh yeah, so and so was great. Oh, I had no idea they had that different belief than me." Um, it, it's surprising to see how often they really just got along so well together. So. I wanted to write an epic fantasy about a world where, you know, all these people have different beliefs and they don't necessarily all get along, even though they all want what they think is best. And in the meantime, you've got an ancient evil stirring in the background that's on the brink of escaping from his eternal prison. And the question is, can the world unite and get over their squabbles in order to uh, fight off this, this apocalyptic catastrophe? Awesome. Sounds fantastic. Now, I haven't had a chance to read yet. Um, I have the ebook, but um, that's soon I will be able to, to read that. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. It sounds exciting. So, um, you know, it's an epic fantasy story. So, have you, did you do an outline? Are you a pantser? Like, what's some of your writing habits? Yeah. So, I thought I was a plotter. Turns out I'm really not the best plotter, um, but I have, I ha I'm somewhere between a plotter and a pantser. Um, I think for me, especially having gone through this once, I only have one book out there, so I'm by no means an ex general framework in saying like, hey, I know I've got my inciting incident, and I know I, I split into like a five-part 
uh, these five milestones. So you have your in the setup and then your inciting incident. And then the first kind of bad thing that happens, then your second larger scale bad thing that happens, and then your finale. So as long as I kept myself focused on those distinct points and reminded myself, hey, I've got to have X, Y, and Z happen between these two points to uh to get it done. Awesome. That's you know, more people I talk to, like there's very little um people or there's very few people that actually like outline like specifically chapter by chapter. Lots of times it's like you where it's just mileposts or goalposts that they try to get. So you're you're kind of in the majority of that. And like it's funny because yeah. people will say they're a panther, but do the same thing. And then people will be like, Oh yeah, I'm a plotter, but do you know set the goalposts was like they're, they're talking about the same thing, but they consider themselves different. It's kind of interesting. Exactly. It's like we have different terminology for the same core concept. For me personally, um, and I, I, I'm sure you probably know Brandon Sanderson. And uh, of course, he put a series of courses that he put up from BYU on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, something that he said that really resonated with me. He was like, look, you've got, I think he even has a blog with an example of this. Um, but at any point, you've got a, a section of your book and you know you want person A to get with person B by the end and you have a limited space to make that happen. So just pick a scene and choose three things that absolutely must happen by the end of that scene. And I just go on with that big picture view and often my characters kind of surprise me with how they choose to arrive at their destination, but it you know, adds a little more fun to the story for me as an author. And then after I finish, I can go back and clean things up and make sure all my payoffs have the proper setups. Right. Isn't that funny, though? Because, like, you think as an author, like, people on the outside talking to you, uh, you're like, oh, like, my, my main character just did this. I didn't know what was going to happen. And they're like, ah, what do you mean they didn't know it was going to happen? Like, you're in control. But you're not. It's amazing. In my in my book, I have two main characters. Um, there's one, Callan, he's kind of a reluctant hero and your classic fantasy um, kind of rural, uh, grew up in a mountain village type character. And then I also have a character, her name is Basha, and she is a member of this uh, realm shifting monk order. Um, and honestly, like I've, I've probably gone through three versions of this book. I, I keep on looking because I have it right next to me. Um, Vasha kind of just popped up one day as I was writing. And I was just like, oh, I think I'm on to something here. I, I never intended to have her as a character. And now my story would not work without her. And she's quite honestly my favorite character. I can't imagine my story without her, really. Well, you mentioned the story of truth. Um, I read the story of truth in the early 2000s and i remember like i was like you know i was a big uh epic guy like i love a little time and um you know uh ad williams uh mm -hmm. you know just those those books uh growing up and when i read um sorry the story of truth uh i got on terry goodkind's blog and his website and you know it, and it was like basic bare bones but he kind of like mentioned like how he came up with the story and he said like uh, is it Kaylin? Is that how you pronounce her name? I think Kaylin so. Richard. Kaylin, like she just walked into his mind one day when he was like working on his house or something like that. It was crazy. So like, yeah, that just happens. Like people just show up in your mind and you're like, oh, I have to, this person is just going to be introduced to the world now. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, 
part, part of the the fun of exploring a world that you're making is that you discover things. <laughs> exactly. And you get the same joy as readers will later on. So you get to experience mm -hmm. it too. Although you said this was the third version or you went through three different versions of this book. Is that correct? Yes. Oh my goodness. Maybe my more. first, <laughs> my, my first version, I still have it on my computer, but I don't think it's ever going to see the light of day. Um, that was back in college and I had just started getting into writing. Um, I remember I had an English teacher who I was so excited. I said, hey, Mrs. Hickson, would you mind reading this over, over a summer? So I gave her this like 100 page printed uh, manuscript that only was the first leg of my, of my story. I got it. She mailed it back to me in the middle of the summer and I looked at it. There was one word that she wrote at the end of like this chapter where a character's mother dies and it's not a scene that even exists in the book. So don't worry, I'm not giving any spoilers. Um, and in big, bold letters, she wrote trite. And I didn't actually realize that what that meant at the time for some reason. <laughs> so I go bragging to my sister. I'm like, look what Mrs. Hickson wrote. And she's like, you know, that's not a compliment right there. I was like, oh. So I spent a lot of time actually writing short stories at Craft, um, learning how to really work on descriptions and character building. Um, so, you know, I... I a lot of these I just did for fun for friends and family. Um, but I, I think that's where I, I really started honing my craft. And eventually about a year ago is when I got serious and said, hey, I want to really take my writing to the next level. Um, and I want to get back to that book. So here it is. And awesome. I actually got the next two books already uh, have their first drafts. Oh wow! The next two books have their first drafts. That's awesome. Yeah, well, one's a one's a prequel novella. Um, okay. So I'm getting that one out the door, and then I'm working on. I'm actually sending it to my editor on Monday next week, uh, for his developmental edits, and then I dig into book two's manuscript, its first draft. Well, let's talk about this. Being self-published, you're kind of uh, in charge of everything. How did you find your editor? Yeah, it came through a recommendation. I'm part of an a group of other indie authors. And um, one of one of my friends recommended my editor to me. His name's Zach Ty. I love his work. His website is, oh gosh, it's either copysmith.org or .com and it's S-M-Y-T-H-S. But I really love his work. Um, and yeah, he, the level of plot holes that he caught in my first book is, I was like, oh, dang, I really need to address that. But because of it, I think I have. There's lots of different editors out there. You chose to do a development. Did you do like a line edit or anything like that? Did you hire one or did you just um, do it yourself? I just did it myself. And I do use some software. I use ProWritingAid. And um, I personally really love it. I'm I'm not sure if it's considered controversial as AI, but one of the things that I really like about ProWritingAid is it will tell you, you can say, hey, here's my favorite author, Robert Jordan. Um, and it's not that it, it uh, tells me to write in his style, but rather it'll take a look at works that are similar to that and analyze, hey, there's roughly X percent of sentences that start with a subject 
and X percent that start with an adverb or a prepositional phrase, et cetera. And then it says, compared to those published works, here's your breakdown. And suddenly I start seeing, oh my gosh, most works only start with 65% subject first sentences and I've got 83, like, how can I, how can I change that? And I've, I've looked after making some changes and, you know, changing the flow. So something starts with the prepositional phrase. It just makes the narrative flow when you're reading out loud. Some, and um, I've, I started to realize that I was able to do this more on my own too. So uh, each chapter I wrote was getting less and less um, uh, robotic. I, I'm not sure really blocky maybe is the best word to, to use there. Um, so I did that for my line edits. Um, and I think another thing I did for my line edits was more of a research type technique. I did, I, I would read a chapter or two of Eye of the World, you know, that's one of my favorite books, and Gordon Energy and that descriptive uh, mentality, even though I think he gets a little bit too descriptive sometimes, <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully I, I don't go too far in that direction, but I loved seeing the way he would describe people, even if it was just a, an adjective he would use to describe a person and see the way that he really made his characters go through a kind of crisis, naive, realizing she can channel and, you know, how she's denying it, denying it, and she tries to deny it like seven times, try to take that approach with my own writing and say, okay, I've got character A has to do something that he doesn't necessarily want to do. How is he actually going to think through that? And then I, I think it really helped helped with my line edits as far as dialogue went too. Awesome. That's fantastic. That's also great advice and, and maybe a tip or trick that if somebody wants to use, they can use that software as well. Um, if they want to, you know, and even that exercise of reading other people's works and, and figuring out like, okay, Brandon Sanderson does this really well, or Robert Jordan did this really well, analyze their work and, and try to look into mm -hmm. how they can improve themselves. Not really copy, but like this, uh, method and, and be able to adapt it yourself. Exactly, exactly. So your book came out, looked fantastic. The cover is amazing. Um, how did you find your cover artist? Um, I did a lot of research. I was looking at other books doing quite well. And I put a list of, I copied um, the images like 20 of the top images that were similar to my style of writing. The person I found, the designer on what I wanted the cover to be, I looked at these kind of prevailing visual tropes, if you will, on the images and said, hey, you know, I've got these elements in my story that would work perfectly here. And I'm really, really pleased with how it turned out. Awesome. Yeah, it looks fantastic. In fact, um, Andy Pelliquin did a review and one of the comments, a couple of comments was like, this cover looks fantastic. Like, it just looks amazing. It looks, it, it tells your story yes. you know, of epic fantasy. Like, you can look at it and be like, yep, this, is, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So, your artist did a fantastic job. Exactly. I highly recommend Jeff Brown Graphics, uh, jeffbrowngraphics.com. You, uh, you can find him there. So, your book came out in October. Um, obviously, you want to sell the book. Marketing is one of those things that sometimes people don't think about when they're writing their book, um, especially as an indie author. You're in charge of all of that. What have you found that's been successful and what have been some of your challenges? 
Yeah, well, I think some of my challenges is that I, my, my biggest challenge is I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, this is my first book, so I'm still kind of like flying by the seat of my pants here. Um, but with that said, so as you know, but for anybody listening right now, uh, Carson and I met at 20 Books in Vegas. Just what was that? Last was month? Was that November? Yeah, it's December. That was November. Um, and Brian Cohen had given a talk in marketing. So he said, you're going to you're going to leave here and you're going to have a ton of awesome, shiny things that are going to distract you. But at the end of the day, you know, if you really want to keep yourself sane, focus on one writing technique and one marketing technique and really dive hard on those until you feel comfortable and then add another one into your into your repertoire. So. Personally, I have decided to take the TikTok and social media approach. Um, I love, I, I actually, I, I love data um, and I love ads and seeing, you know, that there's hard data you can look at, like, hey, the copy on this ad performance. Since I only have one book out, I decided it's probably not the most cost-effective way for me to uh, focus on marketing right now. Um, so I decided to, you know, put my full efforts into TikTok. I'm currently trying to get to a thousand followers because at that point, good things happen for you. And I get to 5,000 followers, great things happen for you. It's has to do with being able to add links into your profile or having a TikTok shop. Okay. Um, so I'm currently at, I just broke 500 followers earlier today, I think. Well, congratulations. Um, so if you're listening, you can follow me at, at Rocco Levitas author on TikTok. And I have seen, like, you know, I've been posting different, some of it's just media to engage, engage readers, like the question of the day. Uh, it's been a lot of fun putting those together and seeing what people come up with as their answers. Um, and then some, some of them are just kind of silly memes. But at the end of the day, I'm just trying to get my book out there. And I have seen a small uptick uptick in sales and I'm pretty sure that comes from you know kind of regularly putting this content out um, and the other thing that I've noticed is my newsletter has grown uh, pretty significantly just based on on uh, people I guess finding a link to sign up for my newsletter I, I I mentioned that I like data so I'm also tracking to see hey where are people coming in from are they coming in from a newsletter swap with another author or from the link in the uh, front cover of my book or from social media so it's it's heavily leaning towards social media right now is my greatest source of newsletter subscribers oh wow that's cool that's interesting yeah so what have you found like is the right amount of consistency it was like do you do once a day or like twice a day like how, how often do you engage on social media i try to post two to three times a day um and i i've been seeing a consistent rise in follows and engagement so i'm that that's what i've been told works and to me it seems to be working uh i've really only been doing a TikTok effort for the last like three and a half weeks. But in that time, I've gone from 105 followers up to over 500 right now. Awesome. Um, you know, that's, that's always like the, what's the magic bullet that can 
transform me into TikTok superstar. So like, you know, and it really comes down to consistency. And I guess, you know, you said two to three times and that to me, and when I talk to people, that sounds about right. Like what people have been doing to define growth. Yes. And, you know, when I, when I first started doing TikTok, especially before uh, the 20 books conference, I was spending maybe three to five hours putting together a like 30 second clip. And I was like, there's no way I can possibly sustain doing this while also trying to keep writing and just deal with life. <laughs> I, I had kind of stopped for a while. After 20 books, I got so many to like those two uh, where you just like literally drop an image in and you can add some funny text and people love it. Uh, yeah. I personally love it when I'm scrolling through TikTok and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess other people might like to see me doing stuff like that too. Um, but yeah, I've just been having a lot of fun there. It, it gets easier with time. The more you're posting, the the quicker it all comes. You're always bad at first, right? Like, you know, when you're writing, yes. like your first book always seems to take forever, but the second and third books like continue to go faster. So exactly. You, you know, you said you talked about, um, TikTok was taking five hours and like how do you deal with that like what's what's kind of like your daily habits as far as writing like do you try to get a workout in do you just set a time aside that that's my writing time like what what do you do I think and I probably honestly could work a little more on my structure um but what I'm starting to find works really well for me is I like to read a chapter or two in my genre and I encourage people to read in their genres specifically um, if you're, if you're doing that for the sake of, you know, like researching what's working well in your genre. Um, and I have a funny little story about that. I can touch on later, but I'll, I'll read for maybe, uh, a chapter or two or an hour's worth of, of reading. Uh, then I will go for a walk and I, I should add right now that I am currently actually laid off from my from my day job. So I have a lot more time than I used to. <laughs> um, but what I'll do is I'll go Sorry for a walk in. No, no, it, it's 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 fine. But um I would not have been able to write my next two books if it wasn't for this. So I've got a park that's right nearby my house. I'll walk and I'll just let my mind kind of roam and I'll start thinking about hey. Here's what I want to happen in a chapter. I start thinking, I mentioned earlier that I've got my five key milestones. So anytime I'm between milestone one and two, I'm thinking about, hey, I know this has to happen so I can write a chapter where this series of events takes place and all of my uh, check boxes are ticked off. The coffee shop, I like being kind of surrounded by energy and little uh, hubbub and surrounding background noise. Um, or else I'll just do it in the silence of my house. But I try to get probably between two to 3,000 words of writing in. Then I, I, I can really only write for like an hour or two, though, before my brain just stops working. Um, and then I start working on my social media. So I, I think I walked through the the significant aspects of my day. I will say right now, for example, I'm, I'm editing... Um, my two manuscripts of my prequel novella. In, I probably should still be writing book three, but what I'm doing right now is uh, just trying to get through 6,000 words a day of self-edits. 
going through and just making sure like, hey, I, I write little notes to myself in the middle of writing, like, oh crap, I need this to happen in an earlier scene so that it makes sense when I have a character do something in chapter 11, self-edits, I take a look, I say, okay, I remember there are things that happen later on and I have to set them up properly. So that's that's kind of my self-edit phase is cleaning up words, uh, using some better descriptions than she was grumpy and she <laughs> turned away really mad. You know, I, I can uh, get into the more fun, creative side of, of the writing because my first draft, I just try to plow through and get all the events just written down well that's good um you can't edit a manuscript if you don't have a manuscript so exactly getting it, getting it out on the paper is is key mm -hmm. no that's awesome i um, think go ahead. yeah no i was just gonna say that and I've, I've heard this a lot from other authors too and uh it's just completely true in my earlier versions i i mentioned that this is like my third version of the manuscript for my first book. Um, every other version I ever had, I never finished. And it was because I would write chapter one and then I'd write chapter two and be like, ooh, that's really cool. I should now go back into chapter one and add those setups, the things that, that I was just talking about I'm doing in my self-edits. But I would do that on a chapter by chapter basis. And then I I would never get past like chapter 10 because you keep on going, going back. Whereas if you just go through... Uh, you don't stop until you hit the end. You can take time after you've written that final scene to add all those setups in uh, for that for that great climactic payoff. That's great advice. Get through your book and then you can go back and, and edit. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, people like to do that. They like to read a chapter and then move on. Sometimes they edit, sometimes they don't. But I think if you're continually on the editing phase and writing phase at the same time, that's where people get, that's where I get stuck a lot. It's like, oh, that's a stupid sentence. So like I try to, and then I'm like, well, that's a stupid sentence too. So, so, and that's just like discouraging and disheartening. Whereas like one of my habits that I'm trying to distill is just get it out on page and get it done. And then I can go back and, and pick. Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, you mentioned Andy Pelliquin earlier. I think he posted something recently and he talks about how there are two different uh, sides of your brain working in the you know there's the creative portion when you're actually writing but then there's the uh, I guess whatever the opposite of creative portion is you can you tell analytical. I was an English major <laughs> yeah analytical <laughs> exactly um so that analytical side you're working two completely different muscles of the brain so it's okay to you know just accept that whatever you're doing is your creative side just getting something down on the paper and you can analyze it later so you know you could have been you know you chose the indie path versus the traditionally published what were some of the thought processes and going to that why did you choose to become an indie author you know i honestly did not have any real thought process behind it <laughs> um i've done a lot of short story writing like i've probably written eight years worth of short stories and some of these are little fairy tales or sci-fi they're, they're not none of them are even epic fantasy like they're Aesop's fable type things or little coming of age stories and animal companion stories um and I've always had an idea that hey one day I'll publish these but I'll just self-publish them because that would be easier so I think I was kind of like free um configured I again I don't know the word I'm looking for uh but my mind was kind of 
set on this path of like, I'll just do self-publishing one day because I want to be able to do it on my own terms. And I don't want to have to deal with a bunch of hassle. Back then it was like, do I really want to deal with hassle just to get a short story out into the world? Um, no. When I started writing a novel, I guess I never really stopped to think, do I want to deal with, uh, with, but honestly, I still think if, if I had thought deeper on it, I still wouldn't have done it. I like having kind of my hand in all the different pots. It's, it's exciting to me. It's, it's fun. Well, you say you like the data and that you don't get to see that if you're seriously published, like they'll send you a report later on, but like you get real-time data as you're, you're doing the indie uh, publishing route. Yeah, definitely. So ha having that control over all the different information coming in is, I'm I'm not a control freak. <laughs> don't don't ask anybody I know, but trust me, I'm not a control freak. <laughs> not at all. So you mentioned twenty books earlier. That's where we met. Um, what were some of the things that you you took away from that? What were some of the things that you enjoyed about that? And well, I guess I should ask first. Uh, was that your first time, or have you been uh, before? It was my first time. Um, you know, I honestly feel like such a newbie to the uh, indie world or even just publishing world in general. I think the most like inspiring thing for me from that came out of 20 books was just how down to earth everybody was um, and how well I was having conversations with people at the like opening um kind of mixer meet and greet um on monday night and people are just saying like oh yeah asking me little newbie me who at that point had a book out for like a week and a half or so um and they're like oh yeah what's your creative process and then later i find that find out that they're on a panel of seven figure authors i'm just like how the heck this person was so personable and just like totally engaged and chatting with me and giving me tips and to see that people from all different at all different levels and stages of their career um are just happy to share what they know and to meet others that was by far the most incredible uh ex experience really and it, it it was uh it was really exciting too, because I, I, I mentioned, you know, I'm laid off right now and I'm thinking like, wow, I could actually do this and try going full time. Um, so we'll see how that, that pans out. Um, <laughs> but I at least know that it can happen. Might be a little while before I get there, but it was I, super inspiring to see. No, I find that that's very encouraging for me too, is like, yeah, there are people on this route writing in whatever genre they want it doesn't have to be epic fantasy but like there are people many many people out there that are writing in whatever they want and finding a way to make a living at it and so that that's yes. encouraging in fact Absolutely. when i um i interviewed dan wells um i don't know if you know who he is but he's uh one of brandon sanderson's good friends and they took the mm -hmm. class that brandon is teaching now at byu together it was taught by uh, dave wolverton uh, also known as dave farland and dan said the very first um, thing that Dave put on the board um, he wrote you can make a living as a writer and he said that they both you know Brandon and him just looked at each other and was like okay like there's some encouragement and so to have many you know I don't know how many people are there a couple thousand five thousand I don't know how many people yeah but like there were I don't know so many people who are making a full-time wage um, writing as a living and so that's that's encouraging to 
and, and like you said, there are people who are seven figure authors who were just like, yeah, let's go have a, you know, let's go have dinner or have lunch or whatever. And you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I agree with you 100% right there. So you talk about, uh, you know, you're, you're part of an indie uh, author group. Um, how important is network been networking been for you? Um, I think that it has been like insanely important. I went into this, I'm like, okay, I didn't even realize that there's a thing called Amazon ads that I might have to look at or BookBub or all these different things and how to market the book. Um, and But there are people who have been there already who know how to deal with uh, different administrative tasks in Amazon and KDP and how to how to plan your promo days and promo stacking and all the, all these different things. I'm like, oh my gosh, I would have never thought <laughs> if I had known some of those things, maybe I would have gone the traditional publishing route after all. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, to just be able to have people who can give you advice on what to do next and where you should be focusing. Uh, one of one of the greatest things that I, I think I mentioned this, the the idea to write your full novel and do not go final chapter. Like it sounds really simple, but if nobody had told me that, I never would have started doing it. And I guarantee you I would not have this uh book ready right now. And I can say that for sure because it took me 10 years to uh to get to the point where I had the book finished, you know. So I clearly wasn't wasn't doing things the right way before. Um, so yeah, having having that support has been monumental. You're working on the book, you're working on social media, you're doing all this stuff. Um, what do you do to take your mind? What do you do to relax, to kind of uh, rejuvenate yourself? I like playing video games and, uh, you know, and I think that even might come through in some of my writing. I, was, I always loved the Morrowind and Elder Scroll games um elden ring when that came out zelda breath of the wild um i always i always love that character building uh creative worlds that you can discover so i think that might come through in my in my uh writing i have found that i just have I think as I've been writing more, I'm more excited even to write, and I've been playing less video games, but I, I enjoy watching uh, The Office and Parks and Rec reruns, um, and truly, like, the, the long walks where I'm just thinking about the next chapter in my book, I've started to, I've come to really love those. I live in San Francisco, so the weather's always pretty much the same, and walking is always uh, doable, <laughs> Thing. it's good. never so cold that you can't go out i hate the cold um but yeah i i feel like that's probably the bulk of how i spend my free time that and board games i love 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 board games awesome so who are some of the indie authors that you've uh maybe met or you know you wouldn't even have to to meet him that you've kind of looked up to to kind of pattern your you know if I can pattern my career like this who would it be yeah so I think um and I, I haven't met him but Will White when I first started reading his Cradle series I was like what 
you can do this in a story happening right in the from in every single chapter um i think having grown up again with these long sprawling epic fantasies um it's always like oh no you've got to slowly build up and, and get into the world but no i i think um well anyway go, going back to your question uh so will white i really like his writing uh michael webb andy peliquin um there is uh ryan k hill uh ml spencer i'm just blown away by how they're able to take classic tropes spin them into a new story and keep putting out more content it's like how are you writing this much <laughs> um and again it's it's encouraging for for me to see that um you know i i would think in traditional publishing i feel like and may, maybe i'm mistaken in this but it like any of the big books those big doorstopper books which are the ones i gravitate towards seem to come like a year apart but with indie publishing, you can make your own schedule. So if you're going full time and you can put three, four, five of those out in a year, like nothing's stopping you. It was kind of eye opening to see that there's this whole other side of the publishing industry and the stories. You know, you're just getting into these uh, great character driven fantasies. And that that's what I love. No, and that's exciting about publishing um, as an indie publisher, too, is that you're not constrained by what the traditional publishers want. Like you can, mm -hmm. if you have a story that you want to put out in the world, you can do it and you can do it as fast as you want. Exactly. Exactly. And I think somebody was even saying, it's like you essentially set your publishing schedule, you know? So if you're putting one book out a year, you're building up your newsletter, you're building up your fan base. They come to expect that. And that's perfectly fine. You're putting out three books a year great your fan base is expecting that and you kind of get there's i don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head but somebody in my writing group they phrased it this way saying um you know you've got your readers who are reading one to two books a year they're the ones going to barnes and noble and they're just looking for the latest new york best time or new york and then you have people who are reading ebooks and they're devouring one to two books a week and it's like a completely different market you know um, and i think that a lot of maybe the traditional publishing is geared towards the one to two book a year type people um whereas indie can breach so so many more people i i know quite a few traditionally published authors that i've interviewed and some of them were at 20 books and they have their own podcast and they were um they had a, a live episode where they were talking to a publisher but he was kind of like an indie publisher type guy and mm -hmm. watching the the two traditionally published authors interview this guy and saying this guy saying how popular and how much money is being made on uh, Kindle Unlimited and Kindle Books, like these guys, uh, their face was just in shock because they it's a field and a um, a new um, new media that they really haven't gotten into because 
of their traditionally published work out. Where like indie authors, they already know this because it's part of, like, how are we going to sell this? How are we going to make money? And if you, you know, you go on any, uh, you know, find a Facebook group that's with indie authors or like self-published authors, they they can tell you like things and tips and tricks and and different things. And and one of those things is all right, yeah. Well, there's always the debate: go wider or, you know, be mm-hmm. focused on. And they'll tell you like the advantages and disadvantages of both and what you know limited can do and what going wide can do. So be in part, like we talked about networking earlier, uh, be in part of a network and finding those those people who can help you, I think is is really key. Yeah. And you know, I think um what was the ta- what's the tagline of 20 books that a rising tide lifts all boats? Yep. Uh and it's just it's just so true to see how indie authors support each other. And, you know, you know that there are readers who like reading epic fantasy, paranormal romance, urban apocalyptic, this, that, the other, right? When you find somebody who writes in the same genre as you um, and they're willing to kind of connect with you and promote each other on each other's newsletters. Not only are you helping yourself find new fans um, and helping your other uh, author companion uh, find find new fans as well. So you're expanding reach that way, but you're helping the readers discover more things that they like. Again, these are people who are reading two to three, one to three books a week. You know, they, it takes a while to write an epic fantasy. I can't be putting a new book out every single week. Can show them new authors uh, is, is just really cool. And again, from even from that like research side of on my end and, you know, kind of and honing my own author craft, I get to read what all these other authors are are putting out there and seeing how they are um, a, putting us spin on tropes and how they've added their unique flair to these classic story elements. Uh, I guess where my my reader pants at that stage, um, although I do try to still do it with a little bit of an analytical mind and say, ah, that's how that story worked out so well. Right. And that's part of the fun of being an indie author too, is meeting other people and sharing their books and, and discovering books. Cause like you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, ML Spencer and Andy Pelequin and Michael Webb and, and all these people, like they write fantastic books and like, because they are not um, traditionally published, like people aren't going to see their books in Barnes and Noble people. So like being able to introduce these people to your audience, I think is really special and something that, you know, I have this, this special thing that I can share with you that, you know, is, is amazing. And, you, and, and I know you like it too, because you like my stuff too. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely agree 100%. So Rocco, before we get off, is there any other tips or tricks that you'd like to share before we leave? Gosh, um, I think the only other thing I would add would be just keep sticking to it. I know, uh, especially, you know, again, from my perspective of having one single book out there in the uh, in the universe, um, I did the thing. I wrote it all the way to the end, to that final climax. And I woke up one night 
specifically the night after I wrote the climax, I woke up at 2 a.m., could not go to sleep because I hated the climax. I was like, how did I, why did I write that? It's terrible. You know what, though? You can always rewrite it. The key is to just get it out there. And at, I, I write epic fantasy. So the book was 180,000 words. It's like, okay, what is 2,500 words in the grand scheme of things? Like, just figure out what wasn't working in that scene and rewrite it. And then, uh, I, again, I did go the developmental editor route. I'm, I know that not, you know, it's, it's, it's an added cost. Um, for me, it was definitely worth it uh, because somebody was able to just take a look and say, hey, love this part. However, this part's jarring, you know, and then it let me focus on, ah, okay, that's where my weakness is. After you're reading this thing, this 180,000 word book, four different times like your brain your your eyes just glaze over you know you need a set of fresh eyes to really point out the things that that are uh are missing your story the areas that have plot holes because you just know from a previous revision that you addressed it and you forgot that you actually cut that scene out right no that's great advice rocco go ahead and tell everybody how they can get a hold of you and how they can get your book yeah, uh, my book is available on Amazon, and it's also on Kindle Unlimited, um, and you can find it's The Seam of Eternity, where it is again. Um, I'm on social media as Rocco Levitas author on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. I think I, yeah, that, that should all be the, the same handle there. Um, yeah. Perfect. So get on his website. Find him on social media, follow him. Uh, let's help his his social media presence grow and let's get his book out there and sell millions Yay. of copies. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Carson. Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.